0: Love, talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. You know, one of the very interesting things about doing this uh, podcast series for really a couple of years now is that. Uh, As I have my discussions with Attorney James Dore, he will often reference certain cases that have uh, become sort of landmark cases in the judicial system. Um, And we may be familiar with them, but we've never taken the time to really talk about them in detail. And I think we're going to start down that path today. Hi everybody, this is Jim Mitchell. and um, In an effort to help all of our listeners and potentially some young attorneys or law students, we are going to set aside some time over the next few podcasts uh, to talk a little bit about some of these very important cases that have uh, shaped the GDSO system for a number of years. And today it's uh, Miranda versus Arizona. And, Jim, boy, I know that uh, this is when we, we drop in conversations all the time, but uh, never talked about it in detail. So I think this is going to be kind of a fun conversation today. I agree, Jim. I think it's a good idea. You know, always getting back to basics. Uh, and
1: once in a while you have to do that as a lawyer to, to familiar yourself, familiarize yourself once again with you know landmark decisions it's always a good idea to go back to basics so yeah i think this is a good idea jim let's uh let's get started
0: so you and i talked about uh the miranda case um as we were planning for this and you know we both referenced the fact that it's you hear about it on tv and uh you know movies and things you often hear about these rights being read but where where did this all begin what are the origins of what we know as the miranda rights
1: well, the, the origins come, as one would have guessed, from a decision carrying that
0: name. So Miranda versus Arizona
1: was one of uh, four cases that the Supreme Court uh, consolidated in one decision. Um, and they had a kind of an umbrella that they, they consolidated these uh, cases under, like a common theme. And uh, from that case, uh, you know, it was eventually it came to what we are known as the Miranda rights, you know, the rights that are commonly read. Um, again we hear it on tv all the time Um, but look as you might guess uh, when hollywood gets a hold of the supreme court decisions they get it a little wrong but that's okay we can get into that uh, and what's 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 expected and what's required from the decision
0: yeah it's uh really a couple of things to talk about there first of all you know what specifically um should be said and when it should be said and what the implication of that is so do you know that Wording of the rights uh, That should be read to to uh, to A defendant Well
1: the thing is that the, the the court doesn't really say you have to read these rights They don't necessarily mm-hmm. put it in a format Where the police would have the card they read Or the you know when you're a police station They normally have a printed Pre-printed you know rights where a defendant Would acknowledge they've been read each right They an you know, initial and sign at the bottom That sort of thing That wasn't what the Supreme Court had in mind But they said it you know they set the minimums that must be present, right, because they put the burden on the prosecutors that they have to prove that these statements are voluntarily given, that they're freely, voluntarily, there's no coercion involved. Um, so there's, there's burdens put on the, the prosecutors when they want to seek to admit confessions or statements. And uh, I got the, the – let me read the, the exact quote here. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, the defendant must be warned prior to any questioning that he has a right to remain silent, that anything he says can be used against him in a court of law, that he has a right to presence of an attorney, and if he cannot afford an attorney, one will appoint him prior to questioning if he so desires. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a summary of the paragraph mm-hmm. in the decision uh, saying what's required.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of what we are familiar with um, from from those uh, media type uh, exposures we've had. Uh, you and I often talk about the process uh, when someone is stopped for uh, being uh, suspected of committing a crime or being accused of committing a crime. Is there a particular time in the sequence that this uh, dialogue should take place? That these rights should be read uh, at a particular time before anything else happens? Right, it, 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 the timing comes down to what what the what the Supreme
1: Court determined is what's called custodial interrogation. So, it's not immediately upon arrest. Like we we love the cop shows, right? Your T.J. Hooker moment where they get the chance to go, "All right, you scumbag, you got a right to remain silent, right? You know they say you have a right to an attorney, and you better get be a get a good one because you're guilty, right? They so they you know they love these Hollywood moments, but it's not upon arrest, all right. I think what happened in response, you know, the police departments, there was a lot of confessions that were getting tossed out because of this decision. And so, the, you know, police departments and prosecutors had to get together some kind of method where they were ensuring these rights. So that's, I think, what you, the safest way to do it for them would be uh, we read the rights as soon as he was arrested. Then we read them again before we tried to get a statement out of him, before we asked, asked any questions, right? That's, I think that was like the safe response to what the decision was. Because, you know, let's face it, the, the, a lot of criminal cases are solved with confessions. Prosecutors and prosecutors need this. Police need to close their files with these statements. And, um, and we have to protect people's rights against self-incrimination. So that's really what it comes
0: back to is protecting that right. Now, I, I want to circle back to a real interesting point you made at the beginning here um, when you mentioned that this was a consolidation of, of multiple cases. This was back in 1966 and it was uh, Miranda versus Arizona, but also uh, Venera versus New York, Westover versus United States, and California versus Stewart. Um, first of all, is this something that the Supreme Court does? Do so they see different cases coming and say, well, here these all at once? Or, or do the individual uh, attorneys and plaintiffs get together and say, hey, how about if we get together and, and sort of present one case? What, what's the process there?
1: I well, the, the Supreme Court controls its own docket, so they they will grant certiorari, which is a, the review of, of decisions. They just, they control their own docket. Now, if there's mm-hmm. uh, if there's competing districts that have uh, um, different uh, decisions, right? One one decision goes one way, one goes another. The Supreme Court would like to a lot of times take those up so they can get one standard decision across the federal you know districts that makes okay. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's many reasons that Supreme Court could use. Consolidate now. In this one, I got the exact statement. And again, I went, Jim. I went back all the way to my college textbook again. Right, Cases in Constitutional Law, Second them. Edition, yeah. by F. Cushman, right, 1989. Um, and this exact statement by the court is: this is why they consolidated the four cases. It goes incommunicado interrogation of individuals in a police-dominated atmosphere. Right, that's that's key, resulting in self-incriminating statements without full warnings of constitutional rights." So what do they have in common? Interrogation of suspects, police-dominated atmosphere, big part of that. There's there's many ways in in cases that have come down since Miranda implementing these procedures. So what's police-dominated atmosphere? Again, it comes down to power, right? They're trying to control the power in these things. Uh, Self-incriminating statements, that's protecting your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. And, again, they want full warnings of constitutional rights. So that's what the,
0: the, the elements of these four cases had all in common. And now it's it's interesting because you mentioned the constitutional rights, or or the court mentioned constitutional rights. <clears throat> I, I believe, as you just said, it's Fifth Amendment. Oh, how, how did the courts interpret the Fifth Amendment in in this particular case, and what are they trying to protect um, by requiring uh, the reading of these rights?
1: All right. Well, they're trying to give some some real,
0: real meat, some real teeth to the amendment, to the you know
1: Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Now, that could be. You know, you're on a stand, right? You don't in a criminal case. You don't have to take the stand to testify. You can't be compelled to take the stand. Um, this is going back to the, again to a lot of English common law in the Star Chamber, right, where, where individuals would would be brought in, and really without a, a prosecution making a case, you know, judges magistrates would interrogate a suspect on the stand and find out mm-hmm. whatever they could and decide, okay, what crime fits this. So it was really. You know, there was no protections for an individual. You had the system, you know, all the power of government, different branches there coming down on that individual with with absolutely, you know, really no no realistic chance to prevail in in a system like that. So out of those protections, right, the the court determined that we're not just protecting somebody in a courtroom scenario. To fully give protections against self-incrimination, we have to protect during – you know the the police, inter- you know, investigation part of a criminal trial, a crimin- criminal criminal um, matter. So, they're extending that as a meaningful protection of your right against self-incrimination to that police-dominated uh, atmosphere. Okay, you're 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 alone. You're separated from your family. You're separated from your friends. You don't have an attorney, and you're you're being questioned, interrogated by professional interrogators. These are police that have have. have Been trained and educated in various forms of questioning and how to get it. You know, you don't have to beat somebody. There's other ways of using persuasion and and anything that manipulating psychology to get people to talk. So the the court was trying to add some protection to that level. You know, of of early on in the investigation of a criminal
0: matter. We're uh, really enjoying the conversation with Attorney James Dore today. I always uh, like to share the, the fact that you can learn more about him at LavelleLaw.com. Um, look under Criminal Defense or look him up in the list of attorneys there, 847-705-7555, to reach James and get some more information about uh, particular issues uh, regarding criminal defense. And, um, so you went back to your uh, 1989 uh, college textbook there. Um, I know we've talked about this. Tell me about your use of Miranda when you deal with clients. Uh, you've always talked about a process you follow when, when you begin a, a defense claim. Um, how does this factor into the work you do on a, on a routine?
1: Well, uh, coming down to the, the reliability and voluntariness of confessions, okay? So um, in, in, in my practice, I could challenge uh, a statement uh, in a pretrial scenario. I would file a motion to suppress statements, okay, where I would be alleging that there was some sort of constitutional violation in how my client's uh, statement was, was given, okay, how that was obtained. Um, that would be a pretrial motion. There'd be a hearing in court where a judge would determine after listening to the witnesses, I would call mine. The prosecution would have a chance to call their own witnesses. And if it, if it was deemed not to be voluntary, it would be stricken so the judge, so the prosecution could not use that statement in their case-in-chief, right? Um, but, again, that's, that would be a pretrial scenario. It also could come out in, in trials where, on its own, the, the state does have to prove the voluntariness of these statements as part of introducing them in the court of law, okay? But in the practice, you know, our little practice tip, we're always looking um, at these statements, you know, if there was one given in the police station, well, we're going to look at, well, what led up to that statement? You know, was was there something done before warnings were given? You know, was there, was there you know, any sort of, you know, uh, request by the, my client for an attorney or to remain silent or anything like that? Because, you know, once once somebody in custody wants to remain silent or once they, more importantly, once they ask for an attorney, they can't be questioned any longer until that attorney is provided, Right. And once somebody asks, asks to remain silent, say, I, I, I wish to remain silent, they can't keep bothering that person, you know, like come back five minutes later, are you sure you don't want to talk now? And 10 minutes later, how about now, right? You can't do that. So you have to, you have to the, the, the state, either through its prosecutors or more importantly through its police agents, have to respect a suspect's right to an attorney and right to remain silent. And that's really where Miranda put both of those together in this decision, a previous um, decision in Gideon versus Wainwright, where the court, court had determined about uh, indigent uh, people having access to attorneys and court-appointed attorneys, and this, and then here in this scenario, the Fifth Amendment protections against self-incrimination. So the court, uh, the Warren Court, in this decision in 1966, kind of wrapped them up in, in one one decision, and that was their their um, their attempt to. to um, I uh stem the practice of uh, improper uh, police techniques regarding to confessions and whatnot. Uh,
0: I'll give you just a quick 30 seconds here before we go. Uh, Jim, just the importance of this particular case for, as I mentioned, law school students, young attorneys. Um, how important is it to understand some of these uh, landmark cases and, and use them as, as part of your knowledge base? For the student, they're going to have to they're going to have to
1: know this because you're not going to pass your coursework and you're not going to pass the bar exam unless you know certain things about this. But um, you know, I, I keep going back to my old materials. I saved you know my old. This is my college textbook. This wasn't even a law school mm-hmm. textbook. And some of my notes are still relevant on these pages these days. So you know, get back to basics some, once in a while. Research these cases. There's there's a reasoner there, and use them in your practice. You you have to con, you know constantly. Uh, Screen your cases for, you know, opportunities like this to, to aid your clients.
0: Well, James Doerr, thanks so much for being with us. Again, Lavelle Law, to find out more about him. And we look forward to uh, upcoming conversations as we dig a little bit deeper here on Liberty and the Law. Thanks, everyone, for listening.